Hello, welcome to episode 30 of We Don't Talk About the Weather, a political discussion that to the uninitiated may just sound like screaming and crying. I'm Adam, and I'm here with Hugh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we're here to talk about this week's news. So, it's conference season. It is, it's proper into conference season. We're halfway well in. Well into it, yeah. Well, uh, there's the um, shit at conferences, but we'll probably barely pay attention to them. <laughs> like there'll be a UKIP one where they'll, I don't know, sacrifice a calf over this bust of Nigel Farage. And then <laughs> he hand de- Did you see him? He hand-delivered a letter complaining to the BBC and filmed himself doing it, of course. God, massive media whore. He's such a prick. Because he's in Alabama at the moment. Is he really? He's in Alabama um, campaigning for a guy that Trump thinks is too bad. <laughs> Seriously, he's like, for like a full-on, proper Holocaust-denying white supremacist. He, yeah, because he also did, he did that speech uh, somewhere else for the AFD, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he's a, it's the thing that swung them around. Is it that weird thing that like um, foreigners sometimes have about the English? Like mm. you know, they they think there's nothing better than like an English gentleman all dressed in tweed, yeah. screaming about Sharia law. <laughs> Yeah, they do love that shit. <laughs> Those stupid foreigners, they laugh that shit up. <laughs> you fucking idiots. We're all dirtbags. We are. We're utter filth. <laughs> I don't understand why anyone... We're was... the lowest human species. We're one of the few races you could really wipe out and no one would really complain. No. And that's not racist because I am English. <laughs> but the, no, it's like... Yeah, the most parasitic, abusive race <laughs> that has ever this, this planet has ever birthed. <laughs> It's like, it's what happens when you have Invaded more countries, caused arguably more deaths. Yeah. It's what happens when you have that crude mixing of, like, Roman Mm -hmm. and Celtish anger. It's when you've got the kind of down-home aggression of the Saxon. Yeah. The Anglo-Saxon, combined with the razor-sharp focus of a recently converted Christianity Norman. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that's literally what... It almost doomed this world. It's so good. I celebrate the decline of the British as a people. If the Normans had ever got as far as Frisia, we'd all be speaking Belgian. <laughs> or Frisian, presumably. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, so that's what Nigel Farage has been up to. Yeah. Well, that's it for your weekly Farage uh, update. I don't, know. I don't care. Um, yeah, so we've got the Labour conference going on right now. Hmm. Mm. Um, it's kind of difficult because obviously we're like we record kind of halfway through the conferences. We did it yeah. last week with the Lib Dems. We had a yeah. good old good old laugh. We'll have a big talk about it um, next week. And there's some good, like there's you know the early gossip, the early fringe meetings and stuff that are going around. But we'll probably yeah. do that next week. Yeah, there's um, I saw a good speech from thingy Tosh McDonald. Oh, your spiritual king, your spiritual my spirit animal, your spirit animal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your he, spirit union leader. He has the best hair. <laughs> he has the best hair and the best knuckle tattoos. I think he's probably one of the only people giving speeches at conference with knuckle tattoos that isn't a, like a Nazi. It's Ricky Tomlinson gone feral. Yeah, pretty much. Awesome. He, does, he does it like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there was the bit of anti-Semitism, but we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, um, John McDonnell being generally great, John McDonnell. Yeah, he's really good at those sound bites. I mean, as much as you need a kind of like gentle kind of like. The projection of natural kind of authority and a gentle command that Corbyn provides. You need, like, a proper bastard. Yeah, you need a rough man a with a stick kicker. to keep yeah. you safe at night. <laughs> yeah. And he's just, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm very much happy about that. Um, I saw lots of pictures of David Harvey drinking with much younger men and I'm worried that they're going to, like, kill him. 
Like, don't hurt him. David Harvey is literally the only good thing to come out of Gillingham. <laughs> uh, hmm. Who come out? There was the... A lot of warships. <laughs> yeah, an awful lot of warships. That's true. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it, yeah. yeah no, De- Gillingham is a hole. <laughs> and it doesn't birth many good things. <laughs> Will Adams. Will Adams? The guy who um, uh, went it was in Japan and... Oh, shit. The, the um, White Samurai. Um, the first weeaboo. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Europe's first weeaboo. Okay, yeah, maybe actually that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, we'll talk about Labour Conference yeah. next week. Um, but yeah, so what have we got? We've got um, so this week, um, we're going to start at the beginning. Yeah. Um, Theresa May's Brexit speech in Florence. Yeah, because, of course, if she was going to speak about Brexit, would she speak to British people? No, she would not. She would hide from British people. Go to Florence. <laughs> so we've also like we've got we've got this speech, and I wanted to do like Vince Cable's speech because it's always hmm. good to get you get the leader speech at the end of the conference, and it wraps everything up. And it probably hmm. like sometimes they're very very boring. Hmm. Sometimes they kind of like give you more of an indication of what they're going to change. You'll find out Vince Cable's not going to change very much, but. Um, <laughs> I kind of like I read through and made notes on all of uh, Vince Cable's speech, and then started yesterday um, or Sunday afternoon on Theresa May's speech, and yeah. I was kind of reading it down and reading it down and reading it down, and I kept having to scroll back up mm. because I thought I'd missed something because she repeats herself so many times. <laughs> and I'm not going to do the whole thing. I was going to go through it, you know, the usual kind yeah. of like you know, reading series, or whatever, yeah. like go through it, but it's it's not worth it. Yeah. Um, I, it's it's better to just take a couple of points out of it and we'll just talk about them. It's annoying because it's like the only way you can actually communicate how like tedious, how much she's on autopilot and how how fucked she is mm. like reading into this speech. Well, she is super screwed at the moment. Yeah, well, like, it's, um, was it Hammond said he wouldn't? Yeah, Hammond said he wouldn't. Her. David Davis is like briefing people about becoming leader. He probably seems like the most likely one. but Ready for double D again. Like, yeah. <laughs> Always ready for double D. Um, and like the only way that can really get across is if you read the whole thing. But it would kind of be like going to one of like those those drone uh, those drone or noise performances. Mm. Afterwards, you would feel amazing. You would feel like, oh my god, I understand everything about how this is going. Mm. And yet, in it, it, in actually, when you're um, uh, listening to it, it's just because your brain has been like submitted. Yeah. Your your brain is tapping out. It's just been buzzed it's into a loud place. repetition. Yeah. <laughs> and very similarly, I imagine people were leaving with their ears bleeding. Yeah. Not um, being able to hear things from a certain register ever again. <laughs> like, I'm starting to get like that with Brexit. I'm pretty certain I'm going to lose the ability to hear that word soon. I keep trying to like <clears throat> um, get some kind of coherent thought about why it is I feel so like terrible every time I try and discuss it and why there's no good discussion to be had from it because like mm. it is the big thing like whatever you say it is the big thing it's going to be the big thing in the next few years yeah. it's going to affect everything right mm. and yet there's so little to actually talk about because there's no movement in any direction mm. and this speech the 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 main thing that comes out of it is that um she wants a two year intermission after the deal is signed from which we'd still be a member of the single market and the currency union, uh, the the uh, single market and the economic area and everything like that, but we would nothing would change. Basically, she wants nothing to change. Yeah, and it will give it will give her more of a buffer zone before everyone starts trying to kill her, mm. and it will give companies more time to up sticks. Yeah, and prepare. 
or you know prepare their spreadsheets for a lower bottom line yeah which is probably more likely so the way she actually phrased it she said uh, the fact is that um, at the point when uh, the UK leaves the EU, neither the UK nor the EU and its member states will be in a position to implement smoothly many of the detailed arrangements that will underpin the new relationship we seek. Neither is the European Union legally able to conclude an agreement with the UK as an external partner while it is itself part of the European Union. I don't like, don't like the language itself. And such an agreement on the future partnership will require the appropriate... See, I can't even a paragraph. I've still got the paragraphs in my notes here, mm. but I can't. Um, it's the case that people and businesses, both in the UK and the EU, would benefit from a period to adjust to the new arrangements in a smooth and orderly way. As I said in my speech at Lancaster House, a period of implementation would be in our mutual interest. That's why I'm proposing that there should be a period after the, U the UK leaves the EU. As of today, these considerations point to an imp implementation period of around two years. <laughs> That's already after, like, <clears throat> she talks about how, well, it's legally allowed in Article 50, yeah. like, that's supposed to be a two-year process, and then she goes, but can we add two years on, please? Well, that is, I'm pretty certain that is part of the Article 50, but you can ask for more time. But the problem is... Oh, uh, but she's not asking for more time, she's asking for, for a, a, buffer, an, a, a, a buffer afterwards. So yeah. it'll all be done, it'll all be settled. But, it'll, but we'll have, a, like, a safe space while we're mm. making deals with other countries. Mm. So dumb. But the thing is also, my main issue with all of them, it's like, especially after watching all those speeches today, and there's a reason why I like when, like, Dennis Skinner speaks. Yeah. Or, like, Tosh McDonald speaks. Is it McDonald? I'm getting really annoyed. I think it is Tosh McDonald, yes. Yeah. Um, because they're normal and they speak from the heart. Um, they don't speak in this way of... They're told constantly, these politicians, that they're great speakers and they're great speechwriters. Yeah. Tom Watson is terrible. Yeah. He makes terrible jokes. They always their, their use of language is appalling. Mm. They're all butchers of it because they've been taught to taught to do it like a kind of headmaster at a, an assembly. Yeah, you've got to your your basic. How many of you? It's like a, your it's like a yeah. It's like a hierarchical thing. It's like yeah. you are you are higher than the people you're talking to by mm. by dint of your your position and mm. your the nameplate on your car yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and. You're speaking to people who are lower than you, so you've got to kind of win them over yeah. with a little bit of crap jokes that they know are shit. Mm. But also, it's like, oh, he's he's a human being. But unfortunately, they've regimented this and done it so many times mm. that it just comes across as the same speech. Like the Theresa yeah. May speech is the perfect example. She's, it's unclear who she's actually talking to quite a lot of the time because mm. she starts talking to Italy, then she starts like Italy specifically talking about how um, ah the future of Europe, as in the Renaissance. Is going to be uh, is uh, is going to focus on Italy, and she's talking about fucking migration. Oh. So is she talking to the EU there? Is she talking to Italy? And she's talking like in such an offhand way about what is like a massive massacre in the Mediterranean. Yeah, it's really odd. Mm. She keeps reiterating the fact that we will definitely, definitely leave the EU, but we still need all those things that we have. Yeah, and it it the closest I can get to some kind of coherent conclusion is that. It illuminate or, or some kind of like analysis of it is that she's demonstrating exactly the Tory prob the problem that the Tories have had all along is that actually the EU really suits their brand of capitalism. Mm. Mm. There's very few people left in the Tory party who are the old fashioned kind of local business patrician, yeah. um, even the kind of like Spiv Thatcher kind of I worked my way up from the. Yeah. Like the post room, and now I run Sports Direct. Yeah, they're not that even. There's no. not that many of them. But what they are is 
a party of grey-suited bureaucrats to whom large business capitalism suits them like a glove. It suits yeah. their ideology, it suits what they want to achieve, and it makes them rich. Hmm. It's it's so dumb. Like, mm. I could see in the next election, I could see a lot of people going over to UKIP from the Tories. Mm. There was an article about Rochester, actually, yeah. in The Guardian. Um, I think I sent, I sent you that earlier on. Because the Tories aren't... Pre- like aren't the kind of protectionist Mm-mm. mine owner thing they that used to they, be able to try to pretend to be to try and win over some they used to be able kippers. to pivot between those two things because yeah. the economy was easier to control directly mm. so you had a lot of kind of patrician tories who would be able to pivot between free trade and between protectionism and yeah. between you know support for the welfare state but only for those who deserve it and mm. all that kind of stuff they could always mold things mm to the way that they wanted it, which was usually some kind of like unfair hierarchical mm. thing. But with this one, they've kind of, they've reached the, the final triangulation. Yeah. They only picked it up with Cameron, really, because yeah. they didn't, they tried, they, they didn't really succeed at doing the Blair yeah, before, they have, they majority, before Cameron. They haven't had a sizable majority in so long. No, because they, they basically inherited the distrust that people had for Blair. They inherited that. In many ways, kind of, it was continuity government. It was the continuity mm. state. Except that they were able to enact a lot of the kind of harsher budget measures that the hard right have been going, the hard right of the Tories have been going on about for years. The mm. real kind of blood and thunder free marketeers. Mm. And I don't think there's very many of them in, in the cabinet right now. Mm. There's a lot of kind of reasonably happy, reason, like pretty comfortable, yeah. rich They all reek of being comfortable. Men. Well, like, like that thing of mostly um, men, but. that thing of Philip Hammond talking about how he, you know, never had it so well. Mm. But yeah, they they don't have anything. There's there's very little they have left because austerity's reached the end of its natural lifespan. Yeah, um, they can point to they can point to a lot of statistics in the way that Blair used to, mm. like saying, you know. Unemployment's much lower and the deficit is this lower. But they know, people have have learnt that what they're saying is not how how people are feeling. And also, what's interesting is that they're starting to realise that other people don't think that as well. There was always a way with Blair that maybe you could say, well, I'm getting poorer, Mm. right? My job is not as secure. But there seems to be a lot of opportunity around, you know, so-and-so's son's just got a job I don't know, some marketing firm or something. Yeah. And you could kind of feel it was a kind of, it was a social atomization Mm. that you felt that, well, I'm in a shit position because I'm not working hard enough or it's due to something to do with me. Whereas now there is a slight victory on the kind of anti-austerity, the kind of Corbyn anti-austerity line that actually, no, a lot of people feel the same way you do if you're feeling pretty shit. Mm. And you can't hide that with job figures. People know how hard it is to get a job and how hard it is to get a good job. Yeah, people know that most of those job figures are zero-hour. Yeah. And even though there are some people who do like a zero-hour contract, there aren't many people who are in their late 20s who like being on a zero-hour contract. Mm. There's not many people in their mid-20s who like being on a zero-hour contract. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the best thing was she ended the speech with um, talking about how strong the fundamentals of the UK were. What so, are the like, fundamentals of the UK. Uh, so she named the fundamentals. Our left hook. Uh, yeah. Our legs. Uh, an iron chin. <laughs> um, that's Dover. <laughs> Surrounded in barbed wire. That's why it's so strong. Um, a legal system respected around the world. 
a keen openness to foreign investment, yeah, mm-hmm. an enthusiasm for innovation, an ease of doing business. What's an ease of doing business? Well, you just ignore any complaints and just let them do what they want. <laughs> if you accept their money, they will dump their nuclear waste in Cardiff Bay. <laughs> I was going to raise that with you. Yes. <laughs> She continues some of the best. Yeah, that's literally it. That's that's ease of doing business. In a minute, um, an ease of doing business. Some of the best universities and researchers you can find anywhere. An exceptional national talent for creativity and an indomitable spirit. I love that. That's that's like that's Churchill. Fucking. It's because they've got like to the, put the, the perfect obligatory of, Churchill style language. It's in the there. perfect thing for a Tory or a Blairite to lean to because it is completely unprovable. Yeah, <laughs> like. That kind of thing is like, it can. Re- that could be like the steadfastness of our soldiers, or the fact that journalists don't listen to criticism. <laughs> the never say die attitude of all the disabled people who we forced into work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the constant striving for perfection from all of those ATOS monitors to reach their figures. <laughs> um, <laughs> she goes. It is our fundamental strengths that really determine a country's success, and that is why Britain's economy will always be strong. In the middle of her speech, if you had a look at the pound, it dove yeah. like about ten percent. Yeah, it was. And, uh, and at the moment, when we, how far have we moved down now in like the G ten? Um, there's the lowest low. I know. I don't know about the G ten, but lowest growth in Europe <laughs> next the, for this year in all of Europe. In uh, out of all of you, the European Union. <laughs> and uh, oh yeah and Moody's downgraded uh, yeah, Britain's right. credit rating on the same day <laughs> traitors do you remember how important that was yeah, do you remember the- how that literally won an election yep. talking about how important it was that you maintain a AAA credit rating from a private company that will literally sell you a AAA credit rating yes it's oh. just like oh no it doesn't matter it just no, went down matter. and all the other and that's only they're the, they were the last holdouts as well because mm. the other um, credit agencies um, sh- I think it's Shorts um, actually downgraded it in 2016 <laughs> to no mention no one no, cares no one cares nothing matters no. and people wonder why people are distrustful of politicians and how much they say things matter yeah and journalists it's that thing of um, uh, yeah. like in polls now Journalists are less trusted than politicians and lawyers. Mm. So what else did she have to say for yeah. herself then? Um, like I say, I, I really, I, I, I want to wrap it up there because um, otherwise I will just go through my notes because I spent yeah. a, I spent a good hour and a half, which is a long time for me to do anything, <laughs> any one thing. I've yeah. got a terrible attention span. Yeah, well, it's because we were brought up on <laughs> cartoons and energy drinks. <laughs> She, there's a constant thing in, in her speech actually that was one other bit I wanted to bring up there's a there's a bit where she goes um, a trading agreement is uh, a thing where you kind of agree with other people on what the terms of trade should be and if there are any disputes how to resolve them and all I could think of was Libya is a main <laughs> exporter of corn which the Indians call maize <laughs> Oxford English Dictionary describes trade <laughs> it's it's totally like time wasting in an essay, yeah. which, from what the impression I have of Theresa May, seems about right. Yeah, seems to be her characteristic. Like the only other, the only other characteristic she has is that relentless, like, desire to appear strong mm. that manifests itself in cruelty. She has a, she has a real kind of, not not even divide and rule, just divide and mm. push the other side, the undesirable side away. Yeah. It's the only real strength she has as a politician. We were talking about this the other day. Yeah, she's, she's vicious. She's a bully. 
Yeah. Like, and she prefers how she prefers everything to be done in the back office mm. and then for her to come out. Except she's not the person. She was never the person to sell those things. No. Cameron was the person. Yeah. The snake oil salesman. Yeah, you need a flimflam man. Yeah. Um, yeah, those that that weird kind of those weird kind of ticks she has, they all come from the fact that she's not comfortable trying to triangulate. She's, she's wearing that dead skin Blair Cameron mask. And, and she, she can't do it. She's and she's malfunctioning. She's so bad at public speaking. Mm. And since the election her her confidence is shot to hell, so now she screeches a lot. She seems so uncomfortable, it's awkward to watch her. Yeah. They're keeping her away because I mean, at this point, considering the amount of um maneuvering around her and Mm. like yeah you can say that that's the media kind of whipping up uh, problems where they don't exist but you don't get kind of three or four different potential future leaders Mm. all coming out at the same time all slightly briefing do you know what I mean I've seen yes minister I know how these (laughs) things work (laughs) yeah Yeah. so that's that's the Theresa May speech I mean the the only big thing really was um was the two-year extension, which yeah. just kicks it and into, more, to the conclusion into more uncertainty. The EU is a land of contrasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect place to end that section. <laughs> okay, so what's going on? So, so now I can move on to the actual speech that, while not, it's not quite as boring, it is very, very funny, though. Okay, go on. There are quite a lot of bits. There, there are some bits that are, you know, heartfelt and almost make you think, oh, and then you... Vince Cable... Yeah. Made his keynote speech yeah. last Tuesday yeah. at the Lib Dem conference to mm. close the conference. He's only been leader for a little while. He ran unopposed. He's kind of, he's a former um, economist, chief economist for Shell. Uh, one of Shell's bloodiest times. Uh, he was also, I didn't realise a before that, um, a an economic advisor to the Kenyan government. Wow. Hmm. Like kind of seventies, kind of Kenyatta days. Oh, what a charmer! He's yeah, such, he's a good guy. So, as you'll find out in this speech, he has first-hand knowledge of the dangers of socialism because of oh, because it. of working with Kenyatta. Go on then. <laughs> okay, so I'll try and make this good, but we should go. We should. Go, I'll get into it. It is with a real sense of pride that I stand before you as leader of the Liberal Democrats. Classic opening. Classic. <laughs> no fuss. Exactly what we've come to expect from Vinnie C. Perfect. <laughs> First of all, I'd like to put on record my thanks to my predecessor, Tim Farron. He hands over a party which is larger, stronger, and more diverse than the one he inherited. I think you'll find that's specifically not true. Yeah. Um, or if it is true, it's marginal. Yeah. He stood up for refugees whose plight the government had shamefully ignored. Unless they were gay. Unless they were gay. He established our very clear identity as the only real, undiluted pro-European party. We're all hugely indebted to him. It's good today to be amongst friends, so please forgive me if I start addressing people who are not yet our friends, but whom we might persuade. Who's he trying to persuade? Well, let Vinny tell you. He's got it. You may remember that the Labour government, egged on by the Conservative opposition, plunged this country into a disastrous, illegal war. It helped to fuel the jihadist movements which terrorised the Middle East and our own country and our allies to this day. And it was only the Liberal Democrats under Charles Kennedy who showed sound judgment and political courage when it was needed. Now, that's true. Hmm. Very true. Charles Kennedy, resolutely anti-war. Part of the reason why he became very popular with students and that kind of transferred a bit onto Nick Clegg. Yeah. 
Tim Farron wrote in The Guardian that he supported uh, Trump's missile strikes on Syria yep. in response to the chemical strikes and have generally become a pro-war party. So, yeah. And in coalition, they were so Libya. Right, yeah, so, you know, right off the bat, yeah. it's like, well, we're an anti- we, do you remember when we were anti-war party and how great that was? Ah, oh, we're not that anymore. No. Great, anymore. brilliant. And when we actually had any power and could do anything about any kind of war, we were kind of pro-war. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when we were in favour of we were in favour of helping students? And then we had some power, and we were staunchly anti-students. Oh, remember when we had when we were vaguely anti-austerity and pro <clears throat> and pro helping poor people? And then we had some power. We hate the poor. Oh, we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> then the same government lost control of the economy. It allowed reckless and greedy bankers to run amok. Yet again, the Conservatives egged Labour on, demanding even less restraint. The Lib Dems warned that it would end badly, and it did. An economy built on banking and property speculation was left dangerously exposed to the financial crisis, and the baleful consequences are still with us. Our economy continues to be dependent on the life support of cheap money, which is now inflating a new credit bubble. Yeah. yeah. And the Lib Dems were also in a coalition government for five years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> Less than two years ago. Yeah. Think about that. It was like, yeah. well, no, maybe just a little over two years ago. Yeah. They were actually in government. And luckily, they solved all those problems, um, <laughs> which is why the Lib Dems are more popular than ever. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. That's why he's Prime Minister. <laughs> For many voters, we still have to scrub ourselves hard to get rid of the smell of clearing up other people's mess. And now another disaster looms Brexit. Yeah. You thought he wasn't going to mention Brexit? You were wrong. <laughs> I love the. Clearing up other people's mess. What, for the five years when you decided, oh, look, there's some mess, I'm going to roll around in the mess and spread <laughs> it everywhere and give them some ideas on where to get mess into even more nooks and crannies. <laughs> How to trick more people into <laughs> making more mess. Yes. Brexit, the product of a fraudulent and frivolous campaign led by two groups of silly public schoolboys reliving their dormitory pil- pillow fights. Did Vince Cable go to a public school? He did not. Oh, didn't I looked he? this up. And there's actually quite very few Lib Dems who actually did. Really? Because even the poshest ones were educated in international schools. So not specifically public schools. Even then, there's not that many of them. Okay. But then there's not that many Lib Dem MPs, so I suppose mm. it's... <laughs> kind of, if you went to a public school and you were trained for success, you're not fucking joining the Lib Dems, are you? No, you would have... You would have the parents would be asking for the money back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, thanks to Boris Johnson, they have degenerated into a full-scale school riot with the head teacher hiding, barricaded in her office. Like... I don't know what it is about the Lib Dems when they use that, or, or centrists generally, when they use that school terminology, mm. when it's like, oh, well, everything's like school, you see. Here you have the popular kids who can, like, turn everybody around. You have the teachers, and sometimes the teachers are really good if they like you, but if their teachers don't like you, they're really bad, and they're all in chaos, and they're all having sex with each other <laughs> and reliving their childhood pathologies. Yeah, It's really, really weird. It's kind of like... Because also they're the ones who talk about grown-up and adult politics, and, like, who's... Like in the in the kind of like human psyche, who's more adult than a teacher? Yeah. Which is a weird combination of like uh, metaphors. They think they're adults they and they think they see the world in a very grown up way. But also, the only metaphors they understand are school and Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they yeah. understand school and make believe school. You see, there are these people, and they're more authoritative and they're more wiser because they're older. You see, it's weird. I have to say, he continues. It is a pity that the Brexit landing is being managed by people who would struggle to get their heads around a toddler's Lego set. It's just a continuation of that weird, like, they're both teachers Mm. and their children. Mm. These are people who live in a world of infantile fairy tales. I'm sure you know the one about the giant tweeter 
who lives in a white house far away and who flies across the ocean to rescue us from the wicked gnomes of Europe. This is fucking embarrassing. Yeah. Jesus. And also, like... That's what I said, like, they're, 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 they're butchers of the English language, these monsters. Brexit doesn't, like, rely on Trump. No. Like, yeah, he has tweeted in favour of it because it's a roughly nationalist, like, right-wing project yeah. among a certain segment of the right wing. Not among the ruling class, particularly. They would no. rather do anything than be associated with it. The worst, the worst like, photo op Theresa May ever had... Mm beyond her weird facial expressions, <laughs> holding is hands. holding Trump's hand. Yeah. Like, no, they, they're not like that. No. So uh, they get, he gets on to Labour. Uh, Many people got behind Jeremy Corbyn in June, expecting, genuinely expecting a better politics and a better future. They are already being betrayed. Today's Labour Party isn't into problem solving, let alone governing. <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn's acolytes are focused on how to maximise the contradictions of capitalism. He knows, he's, he's studied Marx, he knows yeah, what the contradiction a, of capitalism are. Yeah. And he should know full fucking well that, frankly, Jeremy Corbyn, I support him, he's actually trying to solve capitalism's problems for it. Yeah. Like, yeah. by making a social democratic state in which technology is kind of expanded and people have secure jobs, he's trying to create a different kind of capitalism, yeah. one that will save it from itself. From the fucking hellscape. Yeah, because he's a social democrat. Yeah, the what that like he's he's he wants that kind of gentler capitalism rather than the hellscape that awaits us on the other side of this fucking neoliberal nightmare. Yeah, it's um it's oh I hate it when specifically Vince Gable when he starts talking about what Marxists think because mm. he knows he's probably he probably read Capital when he was younger. He studied economics. Yeah, he knows what it is. Yeah, so he's lying. He yeah. lies. He misrepresents. Well, he's he's he. He's characterising them in the way that he thinks. Because although he talked about the fact that he's talking to people who he's trying to persuade to vote Lib Dem, mm. actually, he's, this is pure, like, cent- he's talking to centrist dads here. Mm. He's trying to talk to persuade people f- for the Lib Dems to become the party of Remain. Yeah. Um, he continues, you don't qualify for the Labour shadow cabinet these days unless you have studied the Venezuelan guide on how to bankrupt a rich economy. Really? <laughs> Give all the power to oligarchs and don't <laughs> crack down on them enough so that they strangle your economy. <laughs> it's no wonder they backed Brexit. Then a few weeks ago, the moderates briefly penetrated the Corbyn bunker. They persuaded him that the collaborating quite so closely with the class enemy didn't look too good. That's a weird thing as well. The Remain side are convinced that Corbyn is cooperating with Theresa May. Mm. To secure a hard Brexit. Yeah. Like, obscuring the... Like, I don't like Tories, but they have nuances in the way that they're approaching Brexit because they don't want a hard Brexit. No. Even the ones who say they do, I, I genuinely don't think that they do. No, no, not at all. Because they know that it will affect them badly. <laughs> yeah, it will affect their bottom line and the bottom line of the ideology that they espouse. Mm. It's very, very strange. Um yeah, and unless you've studied the Venezuelan guide on how to bankrupt a rich economy, well, there's a better guide that I prefer. It's the Greek guide <laughs> to bankrupting a fucking economy. You fucking dirtbag. Well, that's you fucking dickhead. It's the, oh, the Venezuelan guide to bankrupting a wealthy economy, as if Venezuela first off was wealthy before Chavez came to power. And it, I mean, it it wasn't particularly wealthy. It's well. You see, that's what he means, isn't it? When he says a wealthy economy, he means an economy with more wealthy people. Yeah. 
people and it might have been richer on GDP, but people were starving. Also, I'm I looked through the guide the guidelines for momentum. At no point yeah. does it say you should we should make sure that Britain is like wholly dependent on a single resource. Yeah, and the price of which spikes wildly and banned from trading with America. <laughs> But, um, yes, there's you no see, there, actually, like, we, should be, we should suffer trade embargoes and also assassins. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read that bit. Maybe <laughs> I just skimmed it. I missed the bit where it says, like, do you know what we, do you know what we need to really revitalise Britain? Paid assassins. <laughs> Idiot. Liar. Yeah. It's that, that kind of left-baiting stuff. Mm. Because they he loved it. That's when he was at his most popular and his most influential, when he was literally the, the most left-wing, um, sh- not shadow chancellor, like economic spokesman. Yeah. He was the one who was saying this, he was the only one saying, this capitalism has got out of hand, it needs to change radically. Mm. Like, that's when he was most powerful, and now he's back to the Lib Dem playbook of, of left-baiting. Yeah. But pretending that you're like the Tories, but you'll you'll be the kind ones. Yeah, just look at our cardigans. <laughs> what the people want, what the country now desperately needs, is some political adults. That's you. That's us. <laughs> I'm injecting way more passion into this. By the way, he's very capable. He's all right at public speaking, but he's not like he is also a seventy fucking year old man. Yeah, you know. I'm sure he had to give some rabble-rousing speeches when, with regards to, like, cracking down on unions and shit when he was looking like a shell. <laughs> cracking down on unions and killing union members. Yep. There was a whole thing, an argument about how much he knew about... Um, so Shell has, in the 90s, had... I'm not even going to say... Like, a murderous reputation in Africa generally, Nigeria yeah. particularly. One man, um, Ken Sarawiwa, yeah. who was a, a labour organiser for the uh, the oil fields in Nigeria was found murdered. Hmm. And it's commonly suspected, although never been fully proved, that Shell hired people, hired militia to kill him. Yeah. And Vince Cable was chief economist of Shell at that time and had worked in Africa previously, presumably had some kind of inside, was certainly more inside than anyone else was going to get. Yeah. I'm not saying that, that Vince Cable killed a man. Pinkertons. I'm not saying Vince Cable... I'm not saying that. That no, Vince Cable no was directly responsible for the death of a human being. He's no Paddy Ashdown. No. <laughs> but that's what I'm implying. Um, <laughs> he continues, Fortunately, we are not alone. There are sensible grown-ups in the Conservative Party and the Labour Party and the Greens. Yeah, John Woodcock. Then why don't I fucking vote for them? Here's the thing. Yeah. If this is not a political position, wanting political adults mm. is a sexual pathology more than it is a political position or an ideology or anything like that. Mm. But if I were the kind of person who felt that kind of, let's say, let's phrase it differently, let's say strong leadership or mm. strong authority was required mm. yeah, to steady the tiller and other boat and car metaphors, yeah. why would, and, and I, I recognise that there are grown-ups in the Conservatives and Labour why wouldn't I just fucking vote for them? Yeah. Why would I vote for the Lib Dems? Yeah. You can have a mix of everything, but not get anything you want. <laughs> you can vote for us, but yeah. you I guarantee you won't get anything you want. Also, it's the notion that grown-up is yeah, is a political position. Like mm. the grown-ups mm. in the Green Party, the like the ones who are like the centrist dads in the Green Party, mm. 
have anything in common with the grown-ups of the Conservative Party. Because yeah. the only thing that I think in Green's is like a bit. The Green is a bit different though, because Green, you really have to. You you do have a certain like amount of out thereness. You have to make more. Like it, I could see like a centrist falling in with hmm. the Conservatives, or even frankly with Labour. Hmm. But to be a centrist and fall in with the Greens, I think you'd have to have a bit more passion, a bit more commitment to hmm. a particular thing to go with them. Yeah, which is probably explains the rump of the the Lib Dems. It's people who couldn't be asked to walk two miles further to the Green Party meeting. Yeah. Than to the Lib Dem one that was just down the road. Yeah. Or the ones who thought, I'm gonna I'm gonna vote Lib Dem because Lib Dems have got a chance. <laughs> <laughs> and so he continues on the Brexit theme. Beyond them, there are millions of people who are deeply worried about what is happening. We have got to put aside tribal differences. Uh, for those of you not watching our <laughs> video stream, Hugh is wanking off a, an imaginary cock. <laughs> We have got to put aside tribal differences and work alongside like-minded people. What? To keep the single market and customs unions so essential for trade and jobs, higher environmental and social standards, shared... Yeah, 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 yeah. Higher environmental is... and social standards like dumping radioactive mud in Cardiff Bay. <laughs> Our position, to be fair, that is the British... That is the, um, the pro, like, a privatised project approved by the British government. At hmm. probably, I don't think that has anything to do with the EU. And there's the other one as well. We're moving. Um, there's a bunch of radioactive mud from Scotland that's going to be dumped off in Australia, <laughs> on what is an Aboriginal holy site. <laughs> well, the radiation makes it more holy because if I uh, and I think I understand sci-fi correctly, <laughs> radiation makes everything bigger, yep. more monstery, and yep. more real. Yep. So therefore, <laughs> it's a subtle plan. Give birth to the give nightmare birth, gods. Give birth to the uh, what's the what's the um, the walking around thing? The dreamscape. The yeah. the dreamscape. The, the they're part of their religion. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I'm not that au fait with Australian Aboriginal spirituality. Look, you've got to come prepared to these things, Hugh. If, it, <laughs> if this is going to if this whole thing is going to work at all, I expect a basic knowledge of theology from around the world. Aboriginal theology. <laughs> It does look really pretty, but I don't think they have many monsters. I don't think that <laughs> I don't think Cthulhu-style beasts coming out of because Australia's already got monsters. Like you don't want to make those spiders. Yes, bigger. the fucking white Australians. Yeah, yeah, a monstrous. <laughs> That's their hell. A monstrous headed white Australian coming out of one of their holy sites. Um, <laughs> Our position is clear, the Lib Dems are the party of Remain. Let me be clear about this. This is not a call for a rerun. Boom! You've just lost all of the people you just spent 20 minutes <laughs> trying to get back who desperately want a second referendum. Yep. Uh, to be fair, he, he does kind of equivocate here. This is not a call for a second referendum on Brexit. This is a call for a first referendum on the facts. <laughs> when we know what Brexit means, the people should get the choice. The government deal or an exit from Brexit. <laughs> so you I are. Love, I love all the people who talk, who talk about like Brexit. It was like, oh, it's like Brexit and Trump. These elections, they were one with lies and half-truths and fake news and all this kind of stuff. It's like, like virtually every election. <laughs> yeah. You fucking idiots. Do you think the Conservatives won in 2010 based on the truth? No. It's a weird kind of desperation for all the adult stuff about, yeah, we need to grow up and accept. Because that's like the part of the adult thing, isn't it? You need to grow up and accept that there's uh, there's things you can't do. 
in politics there's there's just some things you just have to put up with and it's like no i want to i want i don't just want a second referendum i want the first referendum again yeah it's like this fantasy it's ridiculous we of course know that our call will be resented by the Brexit fundamentalists. We will be denounced as traitors and saboteurs. I'm half prepared for a spell in the cell with Supreme Court judges Gina Miller, Ken Clark, and the governors of the BBC. Ho ho ho! And not for my potential implication in a murder of a Nigerian unionist. <laughs> I'm not saying that he knew that specifically that Nigerian union activists were being targeted. I'm not saying that he knew that. What I'm saying is more likely to go to prison for that than (laughs) I'm just saying if he did, that's what he would go to prison for. Yeah. (laughs) But if the definition of sabotage is fighting to protect British jobs, public services, the environment and civil liberties, then I'm a proud saboteur. (laughs) Oh, he's always fighting for those British public services, like the Royal Mail that he's sold off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey, those are ours. We wanted to fuck them up. Yeah. (laughs) I'm getting a colourful, colourful, I'm already getting a colourful correspondence from people of my own generation claiming that I have betrayed them, that I have given up too easily on reinventing the British Empire and on the dream of Britain without foreigners. But this argument cannot go on forever. Once the issue is resolved by a vote on the facts. (laughs) I'm no big fan, that's the thing. It's so hard because I'm no big fan of, like, leave. Of Of course I'm not. It's the better of two terrible terrible things yeah like uh, remain is the better of two terrible things but like when you do this kind of thing it's like okay one vote and that's it that we voted to leave the eu and that's it and then the lib dems are like can we have that vote again no not a second one i want that one again (laughs) and once that's once that's done that's it no more it's like fucking uh so he continues um once the issue is resolved by a vote on the facts, uh, we must then try to unite a very divided country around the outcome. So yes, I want our party to lead the fight against Brexit, but we should not be consumed by Brexit to the exclusion of everything else. We are not a single-issue party. We're not UKIP in reverse. You literally are at the moment. Um, uh, if you don't want to be, that's a really fucking dumb line because if you are really are going for the load of kind of labour rightists mm. and general kind of, well, let's face it, centrist dads, mm who are really annoyed by this, that is all they care about. Yeah, right now, that's the only issue that consumes mm. their mind. They don't care about anything else. Yeah, they are genuinely mad. That's, that's all they care about. And it's and they have been specifically calling for a UKIP in reverse. Yeah. When they talk about that, cent- like the centrist Remain party, mm. they're calling for that. Yeah. My team has been bloodied in the difficult business of government. By contrast, in a parliamentary party of 262 MPs, Jeremy Corbyn can only find two people who have been anywhere near Cabinet to serve in his alternative administration. So he's saying that a party that hasn't been in power for seven years uh, should have more... And frankly, that came at the end of one particular political generation anyway. Should have more people who've already been in government than a party who sneaked in via via coalition and previously had never been anywhere near power since, like, 1923. (laughs) Like, what? Also, it's a thing of... Uh, again, it's appealing to the sensible people. Yeah. It's like, it's not that hard to be an MP. No. It's not that... It's like, it's a work-intensive job if mm. you want it to be. And being in the cabinet, I imagine, does involve quite a lot of reading. It's reading and it's meetings and it's like... F- uh, the MP stuff is photo opportunities. But, but also, seeing as he did 
absolutely nothing that he originally espoused when he was in power. I imagine it's pretty easy just to do whatever. <laughs> Maybe that's what he thinks being in government is like. It's just like being coalition and say, I'll, I'll come out and I'll criticise the government a bit. Yeah. And then uh, I'll send some papers around. Nothing will get done. It's yeah. fine. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> get this tiny office. Look at it. <laughs> All the other plausible candidates for office have been have walked out or been thrown out. How many have been thrown out? There's been a couple who've That's who've been, couple, who've been chucked onto the back benches. They're still in the party. Yeah, they could still come back. Like all the people who resigned when Owen Smith made that leadership challenge, mm. they all came crawling back. They did. What would a Corbyn government look like? Their basic appeal is to offer something for nothing, all paid for by someone else. For them. Budgeting is just a bourgeois hobby. I first encountered this politics of free things as a young treasury official in Kenya. <laughs> President Kenyatta, the father, faced defeat in an election against an opposition offering lots of freebies. Free food, free land, free cows, free cars. He turned to my department for help. We came up with a winning slogan. Hapana chakula kabisa. Roughly translated, it meant there is no such thing as a free lunch. Unless, of course, it's a Lib Dem free school lunch. Does he actually say that? Yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's the thing. His messaging is, there's no such thing as a free lunch. By the way, look how good we are for giving out free lunches. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) But money and priorities define the crucial difference between us and Labour. We understand that to govern is to choose, and they don't. I think... I I don't get where he's going with here. He's saying... he. The subtle thing here is, when we're in power, we will have to be cruel. Yeah. That is the ultimate message of that kind of politics. Yeah. When he says, when anybody raises the fact that he, they, they will do made. something without being paid for it, we have to make hard decisions. He's already preparing mm. to disappoint people mm. and to punish them. Mm. For starters, Lib Dems will continue to argue for another penny in the pound on income tax to pay oh for it. Oh my god. It's a fucking tax increase. A flat tax increase. Yeah. After all this time. Yeah. After this everything. It's like... After that Labour manifesto, which was yeah. costed and God knows they fucking made sure that every item in that was fucking budgeted for. Yeah. And then... And after, after all that. After all of that and all that time, the best that they can come up with is going back on a thing. Yeah. And... A 1% tax increase over over everybody. A flat tax increase as yeah. well, which will um, punish those on lower incomes harder yeah. than it will for those on higher incomes. Yeah. Um, to be fair, he might mean on the higher income tax band, but he doesn't actually say that. He no. says penny in the pound on income tax. Mm. I choose to, for that to mean all income tax. Well, I imagine that's yeah. exactly what he'll do. If he ever got anywhere near power. <laughs> that means more than six billion extra each year for the NHS and social care and the funding we need for our priority, proper care for those suffering mental illness. Hope can inspire, hope counters despair, hope can achieve change. But what hope cannot do is make two plus two equals seven. Again, hope, you should have hope, you should have hope, but I will not be the one who delivers it. <laughs> no. Also, again, costed manifesto. Hmm. Yeah. What's the Lib Thames? What was in the Lib Dem manifesto? Um, well, it's probably quite easy to cost things when you're not offering anything. <laughs> yeah, they were they were offering the same thing that, frankly, New Labour lost uh, offered years ago. Except New Labour, at the very least, had a load of new ideas because they were bouncing off the Conservatives, who were like flat and dead on their back yeah. and wouldn't offer anything. They had no idea about new things to offer. Yeah, 
So they could go, well, we'll set up these things called Sure Start Centers. You know, when the centrist yeah. dogma was like new, mm. you know, set up Sure Start Centers. We'll have, you know, Tax free credits. scarves for the under eights. <laughs> you know yeah. what? Like that, that, that isn't a bad thing. No. I, I use it now because it seems so like, like so insufficient. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still a thing. Yeah. Because without a successful economy, we won't have the resources to fix an over overstretched NHS, underfunded schools, understaffed police forces, and perilously overcrowded prisons. It's the excuse, that excuse. Mm. We have to sort the economy first before we sort out all these ailing public services. It is the neoliberal textbook. Yeah. Every capitalist party mm. uses that to just as they're about to axe welfare. Yeah, you will get the carrot eventually. Yeah. If we can afford it at the end of the month. Yeah. It's like when you ask to go on holiday to Disneyland and your parents say, we'll see. <laughs> and that means no. That means and that no. Means and it you're always going hungry. means no. And people know that now. Yeah. We currently have a low productivity, low wage economy lagging well behind Germany. And while France is modernising, Britain is lurching down a nostalgic cul-de-sac of Brexit. I had to do a little bit of looking here because obviously we're like British podcast. It's easier for me to focus on British stuff. Mm. But like we've done a bit on Macron. Those French reforms that he says are modernising the French economy. Let's just go into those very briefly, a little aside. Um, he's been forcing through labour regulations to um, limit the amount of time that you have to apply if you're unfairly sacked, unfairly dismissed. Mm. Um, They're giving smaller companies more freedom to negotiate working conditions directly with their employees without the legally, what is currently legally prescribed union representative. Mm. They are putting a cap on the amount of compensation awarded by industrial courts. Um, And they are allowing multinationals whose French operations are struggling will find it easier to lay off staff even if they're making profits in other countries. <laughs> and he's forcing all these through with executive orders. He's changed yeah. the law so that he doesn't have to go through Parliament, or it's yeah. a lot easier for him to go through Parliament um, to get these reforms through. That's Vince Cable's idea of modernising. Perfect neoliberal centrist oh, bullshit. Yeah. What the country needs, more investment, more innovation, more training and retraining, more patient long-term capital, the renaissance of, yeah, 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 yeah. To achieve these things requires overcoming the petty tribalism and short-termism, which are the bane of British politics. By short-termism, I mean, I know he's talking about British business as well, but he's kind of talking about politics. He means every four years, Mm. one of these elections where everything changes, why can't we just have a constant grey mush? (laughs) Yeah. Kind of makes me uneasy when he's looking up to Macron like that. Yeah. Yeah. So then he moves on to student loans. Oh. Yeah. As a country, we have systematically undervalued and disrespected the 60% of young people who do not go to university and the 80% of adults who never went. One idea I want to develop with you, with the party, is finding a way to support all young people in future with an endowment or learning account, which they can use at any stage in life, helping to finance further or higher education, either at the post-18 stage or later in life. That's an idea that they fucking tried to put through with the Conservatives in Mm. coalition, and it never happened. They just cut... They just increase student tuition fees. Yeah. And then cut the uh, maintenance loan. Mm. It is a fundamentally liberal idea, handing control to the individual, and I want to explore how it can be sustainably financed through fair taxation of wealth. How do they keep fucking getting away with this and thinking that they're getting away with this? Like promising... He does acknowledge that they 
let a lot of students down yeah. and then comes out with well this is the plan that we had the last time we betrayed you immediately mm. <laughs> after we betrayed you the last time mm. this is the plan that we couldn't get through and that you weren't sold on anyway yeah but this is the thing that's going to bring the people back <laughs> <clears throat> public investment he moves on to uh, the the kind of uh, infrastructure Public investment complements private investment. This country needs a massive injection of public investment in the railway network across the north of England and the Midlands to Wales and the southwest, and in broadband and in housing. Every pound spent building modern Britain will be returned many times over. Never in British economic history has it been cheaper for a bold, active government to borrow for productive investment alongside the private sector. It's the same old fucking shit! More PFIs. More PFIs. More public, um, private finance. Yeah. It's the same shit. It's been 20 fucking years mm. and they're still doing the same thing. Mm. We already have billions locked up in PFI deals signed by the new Labour government. Yeah. And we're not going to get any of that back. No. Because it will have been frittered or hidden offshore. Yeah. And also, how is that any different from... Other than the private investment thing, how is that different from what Corbyn's offering? Hasn't he just had a go at Corbyn for trying to bankrupt the country with his crazy ideas like yeah. financing infrastructure? <laughs> but he'll do it differently because he'll sell it all. <laughs> <laughs> there is an elephant in the room. Debt. Specifically, student debt. We all know we suffered grievous political harm from making a pledge seven years ago on tuition fees that we couldn't meet that you specifically lied about mm. in the largest public forum forums on record and then ate shit in the largest public <laughs> forums possible. Yep. You didn't just, like... It wasn't just like, oh, we really wanted to do it, but we just couldn't. It's like, no, you fucking lied and you mm. went back on it because it was easier. Mm. The changes we made in government ensured universities are properly funded and it's right that the most highly paid graduates pay most. Those who earn least pay nothing at all. Yet just because the system operates like a tax, we cannot escape the fact that it isn't seen as one. The worry about debt does cause students and their families real concern. I have therefore launched a review led by former Cambridge MP David Howarth, which will recommend options for reform, including a graduate tax. Oh my God. Again. Again. Again with this shit. Oh, he's appalling. (laughs) We are the party of political reform, but before we overhaul what is fundamentally a broken political system, we have to demonstrate that we can win under the existing system. That means opening the way to many more Lib Dem councils and MPs by getting back at least to the national vote share we enjoyed before 2010, which, by the way, was 23%, enough to put them in third place. (laughs) Uh, They're never getting back to there again. The vaunted ambition of the Liberal Democrat. So, to wrap up, I am ready to take our message out to the country and I ask you to join me on the journey as we, together, take the Liberal Democrats back to government. <laughs> back in coalition with the Tories. <laughs> Yay! That's literally the only way they ever get back into government. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, that's, that's the um, niche they occupy in British politics, isn't it? Mm. It's, we're like the other guys, but we kind of round off the edges. Mm. We kind of... Because... Th- it's, we only have three tweed suits rather than ten. Yeah. We have... We are outsiders. We are the ones who aren't tainted by the daily mudslinging of the two larger parties. We're the dreamers. We're the, we're the out there guys. We have the freedom and the space to imagine anything. And all they can fucking imagine is the same thing. <laughs> it's a graduate tax. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, and, like... 
I'll be honest with you, like the reaction to this speech from like liberal commentators and mm. people like that, the Labour right are the party of Remain, the Lib Dems are not. No. They're just not. It's yeah, it's 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 always really difficult to kind of tag them with anything because they don't have an ideology. No. At the most they have kind of a general like a general free market system, limited means tested welfare, uh a smattering of racial and kind of gender identity politics with no real solution to actually solving the problems in those areas. Yeah. So kind of like what we have now. Yeah. That's what makes me so fucking angry about them. Yeah. Is that actually they should be the ones further out there. They should they're not a balancing. They seem to perform their role on behalf of the system rather than acting out a separate role in it. Yeah. Like who fucking sees themselves as being a balancing act in in that kind of situation? Like between yeah. people, if you've got two friends that are, are yeah. very different, you might be a balancing between them so mm. you guys can hang out. But this isn't friendship or this isn't no. this is an institution. This is the state. Yeah. There is no balancing act there. It's it's they they are going nowhere. Mm. And they're never gonna go nowhere. Okay, now we're going to because we are a London podcast. Yeah. We are London born and bred, innit? North London metropolitan elites. Yep. Um, and Uber have been told off. <laughs> yes. Finally. Uber lost their their license to operate a minicab company this week. Yeah. TfL well, finally week. pulled the plug after mm. a series of questions and inquiries and regulatory lapses were... After four months of being on probation... And them yeah. not answering phone calls yeah. from TfL. TfL finally just said, nah, fuck it, you're done then. Yeah. Um, but they've already apologised and it looks like they will be... Because it's still it's still running now. Mm. Like when, it, when they lost their licence, they had a month. Mm. And it looks like they're definitely going to be back. They have, this, an appeals, now, they have an appeals process that they're allowed to operate in. But I mean, I, you know, everybody... Nobody kind of thought that Uber was going to go anywhere after no. this. It's too embedded, I think, in... Um, there's too many high-profile <laughs> British politicians who are heavy investors in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of some of the stuff that is really grotty, though, mm. and you know, there's stuff like the main reason they cited for getting rid of it was like um, pro- questions over safety. Yeah, and was it the statistic you found that it's like four fifths of rapes in private hire cars aren't Uber? Aren't Uber? No, but. Mm. That's still too. They still have lots. I was looking it up today. There was specific a specific case um, where a a woman was sexually assaulted by one of the drivers. She expected she reported the driver to Uber and expected the Uber to um, inform the police. Hmm. They put him back to work. He sexually assaulted someone else, and I think he sexually assaulted a third person. And they finally fired him, saying that it wasn't their responsibility. It was their responsibility to inform TfL, but not to inform the police when that had happened. It's little things like that. Yeah, it's, it's a like casual that. disregard for people who are going in the back of their cars. Yeah, know? there's also they've had in I think it was in America they were having problems of they were greyballing people. Yes, greyballing. If you don't know, greyballing is uh, part of the code that allows them to identify regulatory people who are kind of checking up on them and things like that. And it actually gives the, I think it's the driver, a different map 
yeah. to um, avoid picking up the people. Yeah. It's um, kind of like their rating... <laughs> it's, it's disguised as part of their rating system for mm. like bad passengers or whatever that specifically targets regulatory <laughs> bodies. But then they did their thing of like, um, <clears throat> as soon as it happened, they said, three and a half million Londoners use Uber. <clears throat> the problem there is they don't have three and a half million people who use Uber. No. They're three and a half million downloads. Yeah. And like, for example, my wife has it, but she's never used it. I think I downloaded the app at one point. I've never used Uber. My partner uses it a lot. But um, yeah, so there's like the, that three and a half million. It's not accurate. Yeah. And then there's the the suddenly because whenever Uber are asked about paying taxes and um, paying like benefits for their for their drivers, then everyone is self employed. Whereas as soon as anything f- threatens them, then suddenly it's forty thousand people out of work. Well, even though that's the general estimate is it's probably closer to 25,000 at most. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of smoke and mirrors with the numbers that they use and the kind of outpouring of support. That's kind of intended to get this outpouring of support for yeah. them. And then they had that petition that was um, started by the head of Uber in, in Britain yeah. or London. Um, and he started a petition to get it. And an awful lot of the signatures on there were either not from London or there's quite a lot of stuff online of signatures from people who haven't signed it, who were getting notifications from change.org saying that they'd signed, signed this petition. It turns out when you sign up for something with your email and just click on that terms and conditions button. Yeah. It's real grotty. And it's like, there's a lot of issues with regards to something like Uber because in theory, it's not a bad thing because like, I'm not, really on the side of taxi drivers and their ish that you know their their being in charge of it's a fucked up sector generally yeah it's not like uber are, are the first people to have issues. a problem with like sexual assaults in cabs i mean you yeah. remember the bad old days yeah. you know mini cabs were a my, fucking danger area for my main for issue with um with regards to like black cabs mm. is there is already a contract mm. and uber should have been either that contract should have been looked at mm. um to help taxi drivers, um, help black cab drivers, or Uber should have been held to a higher standard. Mm. Like, there's stuff with the police checks that they do, which I'm really confused by. Because there's a thing of, like, the police check they do isn't good enough. And it doesn't work unless you've been in the EU for five years, at least. And I don't (laughs) understand, because I'm pretty certain that, like, the CRB checks you get to have to work in a hospital or in a school... It's fine if you haven't been in the EU for five years. It will find you know it will find it out. Yeah, because like the NHS, an awful lot of the migrant workers who work in the NHS aren't from the EU. But yeah, so I don't understand why they. I think I've got a rough idea of why they don't have a, like the same kind of police check because that one's expensive and it takes longer. Yeah. Um. So you know, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of issues with Uber just generally not playing ball. Yeah. And I think that's the main thing. It's because they're a disruptor <clears throat> internet thing. There's their yeah. tech arseholes and I have a real distrust of them because their whole models, all of their business models are based on going into an environment where a thing exists and then undercutting said thing. Yeah. The only reason that Uber do so well is because they're cheap. The only reason Uber do so cheap is they don't make any money. They're undercutting everything. They're hemorrhaging money according yeah. to reports. I mean, they don't actually put out any financial reports other than the ones they're absolutely required to. Hmm. So it's quite difficult. But I think someone made an estimate that their each journey, the fare covers about 41% yeah. of the actual cost of making that journey. Hmm. They are hemorrhaging money, which is... 
there's two reasons why they could still be operating. They're heavily backed by venture capital. They're valued at about 70 billion. Jesus. Oh yeah. yeah oh yeah. This is the same. This is the same economy that values like I don't know Twitter as being worth Twitter as anything. being worth eight hundred billion dollars yeah. or something. It doesn't mean anything in terms of revenue, but it does in our weird kind of finance-oriented tech capitalism. Yeah. They don't make any money, and there's two reasons why this could be the case. Either they are simply looking to drive a wedge into into established taxi networks. Mm. Or they're waiting for some other tech innovation, which will then lower their the actual costs of doing things. Yeah. And it has been suggested that they're just waiting for driverless cars. Yeah. The system being that people would buy driverless cars for their own use, and then when they're sitting in the garage, the driverless car could just like go off, and dr- go forever. off, and work as a taxi. Yeah, and it's um, and also like the last tube, the last tube strike, hmm. how much the cost of Uber went up. Yeah, when there was no other game in town. Yeah, that's yeah. It's that kind of thing that's like, oh, that's so horrible and grotty. But then there are other things that they have, which is really good. For example, black cabs in London have a real bad history when it comes to picking up anyone who's even slightly brown. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, one of the things that uh, early on I was kind of like, I was, I would I would have expected to be happier to hear this news because I'm not a big fan of Uber. Mm. I'm not a big fan of the way they do business. I'm not a big fan of what they like, represent. Mm. But at the same time, the, the London Taxi Drivers Association... Um, in 2014, Steve McNamara um, made a, uh, wrote an article saying, the places where they come from... I'm going to do the taxi driver accent. <laughs> the places where they come from, these third world countries or dodgy Eastern European countries like Lithuania or Romania, the administration isn't great. Their facilities are not good and their administration is poor at best and almost certainly corrupt. They're all corrupt, these countries. You can't rely on someone else to do the checks to the standard we do in this country. There's really only one choice between them. Why would you get an Uber? It's like getting in a sea full of sharks. One day you are going to get bitten. (laughs) It's also worth pointing out that around 70% of black cab drivers are white British (laughs) and around uh, 6% of Uber and minicab drivers are white British. There is a racial element to that. So I was not happy about that kind of attitude appearing to win. But I think... Over time, it's kind of become clearer that Uber aren't going anywhere and that TfL actually probably did take the right decision. Well, because nothing they'd done before had been listened to. Yeah. They literally won't yeah. do... They won't, they won't play ball unless mm. you threaten their money. Yeah. And, and there's a- the idea of driverless cars or being the only game in town mm. in London is a very big prize. Yeah. Um, and the problem, the problem I have with black cabs is, even though they're kind of under the auspice of TfL, yeah, they are all independent, yeah, they're self-employed <clears throat> um, businessmen who own their cab and all that kind of shit. Hmm. I'd take them into public ownership in the same way that I'd take Uber into public mm. ownership. I'll just do the Uber. I think it's quite, it's quite important to separate the actual app technology. Like, I don't have a particular problem with the app technology. It's, it's much better. It has in theory, better safeguards for people who are traveling, vulnerable people who are traveling. It has, you have more control over it and it is cheaper at the moment. Hmm. That's unsustainable, of course, but you can separate, like it was very clear in their, in Uber's response to the TFL ban Hmm. that they were saying there are 40, he was saying things like there are 40,000 drivers dependent on Uber. And so you were not dependent on Uber. Uber are t- like the way Uber works. They have two separate companies. <clears throat> when you use your Uber app, mm. you are sending a request to 
Uber based in Holland hmm. who takes your money and then they relay your desire to get a cab to uh, Uber, I think it's like Uber London License or something hmm. they're called. The actual company is called. You're dealing with two separate companies. Yeah. One that has the money, one that has the services, which allows them to get around all that tax bullshit, hmm. all of those kind of normal corporate responsibility things. And they see this as disruptive and being clever and agile. Mm. Uber have this tradition of being very, very arrogant and uh, blasé about that kind of thing. And weirdly enough, TfL had had enough. And TfL, I think somebody described it as it's one of the largest... um, it's one of the largest local authorities in the country. Mm. One of the largest local authorities in the country in that it has this direct responsibility and control over the entire transport system except none of it's elected the only person who's yeah. elected is the mayor of london yeah. it's actually a really dictatorial system yeah and in a, a actually kind of good way hmm. but there's um also with the way it works as an uber driver the sheer amount of them that are working like 60 hour weeks hmm. and stuff like that it's a kind it's like all of these internet things hmm. they need it's like that's an all right idea you need more regulation, though. Yeah, you need, I hope you that need, they, need, they need to be employees. That is the one. That is the one thing I hope doesn't get swept under the carpet. Like obviously, like customer safety and all that is like massively important. Yeah, but that shouldn't be the <clears throat> only thing. Workers' rights, a proper living. A, I mean, fuck it. Like everything else, a mm. proper living wage, proper conditions, proper breaks, all of that good stuff. That has to come from this. Mm. And TfL, you know what? They can just impose it. Because, as I said, right. they're a, basically a dictatorial system. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But It's yeah. time to nationalise it. Nationalise Uber. Yeah, we'll just copy the app. It's the best thing. So, I tell you what, that is the one thing I do like about all those kind of venture capital schemes because they've lived in the free market hellhole mm. that we have now for so long that they come up with ideas that solve the problem that say neoliberal economists originally had mm. with command and control economies yeah. which is well there's no link between consumer and service mm. there's no link between supply and demand which is why you know you get toilet roll queues in the soviet union or something like that it's, it's very easy to control that when it's all computerized which mm. is actually what the soviet union were doing in the later years they were trying to computerize all of those uh, all of those services and it turns out that capitalism is going to do it for us so then we can just you know, steal their programs we can just steal it off them and have fully automated luxury communism Mm, we'll yeah, see about that. more on that next week yeah we'll see about that but yeah so um yeah so it's it's we'll see what happens now but i'm mm. glad that i'm glad that the people that rely on it for money aren't gonna <clears throat> suffer but that being said an awful lot of them from seeing these cars around london they're not just on uber anyway i've mm. seen the, the sheer amount of times you'll see um a car parked up like around Soho and it's got three phones on the window yeah, each one with a yeah, different app yeah. so it's like mm, they'll just go and lift or the, what's the my taxi and there's so many of them yeah um, and that's that's also the, one of the fundamental problems with things like Uber and Deliveroo mm. because everyone can do a thing like that because it isn't really a thing well the weird thing is as well that Deliveroo especially I think it was Deliveroo who had that um, uh, walkout mm. um, yeah uh, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago. And there I have seen kind of things popping up on the internet, on Twitter, images of delivery workers, like meeting upstairs in rooms, Mm. discussing conditions, discussing things to do in a way that because they're independent contractors, 
who are largely off the radar of any particular boss, they're able to do that, which is like an interesting development in labour relations and an interesting relationship for, I think, socialism in general, Mm. in that if you can actually... I think David Harvey talks about this, um, the, the... the main task of kind of urban socialists or socialism in general would be to organise the like organise into unions the infrastructure upon which cities depend on because yeah. in a general strike situation if you've got the truck drivers mm. you're fucking golden mm. you know you've got that yeah it's an it's an interesting idea like I'm not saying there's anything particular to it yeah. other than just uh, uh, individual working conditions and things like that which is still good but. There's a, it's an interesting time mm. with all these the, the different technologies and the the kind of they may they may end up disrupting more than they thought. Mm. Yeah. So, but okay, we don't know what's going to happen with Uber. Hopefully, it will be good things. But if Corbyn comes into power, I imagine more better things. Yeah, better trains, more trains and buses, mate. Yeah, that's ideally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so on to finally get those Welsh electric trains you've all been talking about. Oh, they're never going to happen. <laughs> they're never going to happen. I don't think that Welsh Labour give a fuck. No. But anyway, we'll talk about we'll talk about labour a lot next week. Yeah. But um, this now we'll go on to. I'm going to talk to you about a man by the name of Robbie Travers. Oh, are you going to make me feel better? Not really. Oh, okay. Maybe a bit. <laughs> okay. Robbie Travers is he's a strange creature. Mm-hmm. He's just had an article about him written by Nick Cohen. What I don't. I, um, it's two this... people who I don't like. I, I, don't, <laughs> I can't get it. Um, yeah. So Robbie Travers is he's a first or second year law student in Edinburgh. Okay. Yeah. A lot of student controversy in Edinburgh recently. Yeah, he's a he's a weird one. He'd like he's very much a self promoter. Um right. the founder and executive director of Agora and is responsible for policy development and strategy. I tried to look at what Agora was and the website was not working. Hmm. Um, it's got a classical name. Does it have a logo? Often you can tell a lot by the can, logo. Because the, the website didn't work, so if it has oh, a logo, shit. I can't see it. Yeah, okay. But, if it's um, a horse, it's Tory. If it's like <laughs> a Roman pillar, it's probably like centre left. He describes center. himself as an arch Blairite. Ah, he, right. Okay. He tends to have like the suit of. So a, a conservative then. <laughs> he has the suit of like a, a Ukipper and the hair of Jennifer Aniston in the nineties. Beautiful, has, beautiful hair. I do remember long, his hair. Flowing locks. Robbie Travers for me is one of those people who I never look too closely at because he's like the sun. <laughs> no, it's in a world of like terrible people. Sometimes you go out of your way to find out everything. Like I probably know quite a lot about Nick Cohen now, mm. but I've like not been deliberately. Re- but I, well, I've been reading his stuff for years, mm. and as he's become more terrible, I've been read. I've been reading around like what his life is like, who he is, mm. and he's got a lot to go on. But then there are occasionally there'll be people pop up like like Milo, like Milo mm. Yiannopoulos, or you know Richard Spencer or mm. Robbie Travers, and I don't read up too much of it because it's just too much. Yeah, well, he is pretty much the exact opposite of us. <laughs> Um, described himself as a political enthusiast. Wait, so he wants to live <laughs> for a really long time. Um, wow, what's that like? Describes he has considerable expertise. This is all written by him. <laughs> considerable expertise in Middle Eastern affairs, British, Scottish, and international politics. Awesome EU affairs and legal and economic matters. Um, in the Model United Nations conference across the UK and beyond, Robbie has achieved best delegate. Multiple times. And he's got a certificate to prove it. Yep. Printed himself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, to be fair, they sent him the PDF. He was the one who printed it. (laughs) Um, He has featured in Business Insider and has had work published with Left Foot Forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
he talks yeah. about how he is the he he was the media manager at the human security center, and this is quite funny uh, because he was talking about that on Twitter, and he tagged in his former boss while talking about that. Yeah, and his former boss said, "That's not true. You're a liar and a fantasist." <laughs> and he was like, "Well, that isn't how I remember it. It's like everybody hates you." <laughs> the human security center doesn't inspire confidence as a name. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Um, I think his ex boss described him as a plagiarist. <laughs> Um, but re- what happened is he got in. Well, he said he was being investigated by Edinburgh University for criticizing ISIS. Uh-huh. That's not true, right? What happened was he. Oh, and this is now. I'll go on to the the Nick Cohen article. Right. Okay. Okay. Which is how smearing a woman's reputation was irresistible for the media. Okay. Many news organisations published Robbie Travers' claim to have been victims of, a victim of a PC stitch-up, if only they had dug a little deeper into the murky racial politics behind the story. Mm-hmm. Okay, what had happened is, on the 12th of May, Robbie Travers sent Esme Orman, a fellow student at Edinburgh University, a Facebook message. Hey Esme, just to let you know, multiple news agencies have been delivered your comments on calling black men trash. You might want to think about saying that in the future. Some have linked it to neo-Nazism. Now, what right. happened is he had looked at a private Facebook group that this this girl was on. Yeah. This woman was on. And she had said... There was a thing on there about... Um, it's members on, members of this black and ethnic minority students group were talking about the abuse Serena Williams has received when she announced that she had fallen in love with a white man. Black men who insulted a black woman for marrying the love of her life were trash, Ormond declared. That's slightly different. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, they're harsh words, but they're they you know they yeah. are understandable. Um, also, in a private Facebook group, it's like just fucking Facebook creeping around trying to look for things that people have said. Fucking snitch. Yeah, um, he seems to have. Um, yeah, um, Cohen seems to go go on. Um, Travers Travers appeared to have been monitoring Orman like a secret policeman looking for a dirty secret, and Eureka had found it, or rather, he had found an unexceptional opinion he could twist to make a black woman look like she like the very racist she opposed. He announced to his thousands of Facebook followers, I will be unveiling a racist elected to the anti-racist post at Edinburgh University. He oh. then posted it everywhere and she got a load of abuse. Yeah. And then she reported it to Edinburgh University and Edinburgh University had been really shit about all of it. It's yeah. taken forever to do it. Um, but when he started being investigated for this, that's when he started making up the stuff about how it was to do with him make, making jokes about IS and he's never going to stop doing that. A load of free speech dickheads, a load of articles in things like The Independent and all this kind of crap. I think there was an article oh, in The Times, fuck. actually, not The Independent. Let me guess, let me guess. He got a load of speaking engagements out of it. Yep. Yeah. Um, and there's a lovely picture of him with Rod Little. <laughs> um, Who's the unfortunate one there? <laughs> I still think Robbie Travers, I feel for Robbie Travers having no, to take No, we are picture. to see the picture. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously. That's implicit. Um, the Mail, The Sun, um, Fox News... Russia Today, The Express, The Times, Infowars and Breitbart all did it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane how much. But what seems to have happened is Robbie Travers has done what the likes of Rod Little and Nick Cohen have done for years, mm. which is misrepresent the facts and then make a big fucking song and dance about it. About being repressed when somebody comes and says, actually, that's wrong. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it looks like he overstepped and 
pissed off Nick Cohen because he wrote this huge article. I think there is a. The best thing is, it was only like a couple of years ago that they were exchanging really sweet tweets to each other. (laughs) <laughs> because Robbie Travers really likes him and really likes left. That's it. What's left? That what's left? Oh book. God! Yeah, the how the left betrayed the left, and I'm the left, and I'm out of the left, and what's left? Yeah, um, it's really grotty. And there's a difference, but I think there's a difference. You say he's like Rod Liddle and Nick Cohen. Rod Liddle and Nick Cohen came up in a time when it was possible to be a journalist, and they were jobbing journalists mm. and presenters, presumably before they became professional opinion havers. Yeah. Robbie Travers is responding to a gap in the market as it exists now, in that you can't become a journalist like no. that. You're, you're going to have to wait for this current crop to die. So what you've got to do is you've got to become a flim-flam artist. Mm. There was that similar guy in um, America... There's a similar thing in America where people tout themselves as security experts mm. and say, I worked for you know the Department of Naval Defence or Naval Intelligence or yeah. you know whatever, yeah. and then tout themselves as security experts and get invited to come on the news and be talking mm. heads, and you can make a fair living doing that. Or, you know, I used to be in the CIA, and yeah. just lie their asses off. Yeah. He's doing the same thing except about issues that are inconsequential. The problem is, it's like, again, I've heard people repeating the story Hmm. of the university that stopped a man from making jokes about ISIS Hmm. as if it's true. Yeah. Because whenever they take back any of this stuff, it's quite good that Nick Gowan did write this article Hmm. because when they never retract properly. Yeah. It sh- they, that would be a thing I'd like. It should be forced that the front page of every newspaper is the retraction from yesterday's newspaper. Yeah, but you know, I imagine people good. of Travers' age as well have even missed up, missed out on the opportunity that like Milo got. Yeah, which was saying the unsayable. I was a yeah. tech journalist, and then I said something about women, and I was chucked out of my job into this lucrative speaking career until I said I like to fuck boys, mm. yeah. um, underage boys. <laughs> Because <laughs> he went too far. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to judge it right. It's 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 difficult. It's very easy to overshoot in this kind of scenario. It's a very dangerous game. But I'm very glad that he is now being outed uh, quite massively as a fan. because everyone on Twitter has thought he's a liar and a piece of shit for ages. Yeah. Wasn't he the one? I seem to remember something about oh, I'm being forced out of the Labour Party. Um, he had something about that as well when Corbyn came in. It's like, I've been forced out of the Labour Party for just having an opinion and having a contrary opinion and not really supporting any of Labour's policies or leadership (laughs) or being anything to do with Labour, really. Yeah. And that is unacceptable. He's still got, as his pinned tweet, as this article makes clear, I'm currently under investigation by the University of Edinburgh for mocking ISIS. How old is he? So, he's a first-year law student. 21, 22, something like that. You see, he's... I think he's learning an eternal a, a truth of our fucked up era in that mm. the way to get ahead is to be a fucking con artist. Also, he has here um, the last tweet he did. Interesting that Nick Cohen seems to think that there's an acceptable context for calling black men trash. <laughs> he's he's doing the kind of stupid thing that a lot of journalists do. Yeah. But the thing is, he's not a journalist. He's not a journalist. He's not he anything. He doesn't have the friends who'll back him up. Yeah. And that's the issue. But that, you see, they're getting younger and younger. Mm. Like I say, Milo was a, 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 a something of a journalist mm. for some years mm. and then got onto that. But he's trying, to, he's trying to skip all that and get straight onto the professional controversy circuit. Jesus, look at that man. Oh, Lord. 
I, I, I tell you what, he puts a lot of effort into the hair at the very least. He really That's, does. He deserves something for that. That's a lot of effort. He posts a lot of pictures of him going on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a very nice man. But yeah, Arch Blairite, I'm sure he'll be in the Lib Dem soon. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, he'll probably try and go for the Tories if they'll fucking have him now. I think because he did I'm, say I'm, he did say at one point that I can't. He was one of those people who's like to save Labour, I have to vote Tory or something. Of course he did. Like what, like Nick Cohen? <laughs> but but also like a kind of the only prominence he has is because of getting something wrong. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the only reason he's. Why does he, anyone he on, care about this one person? He whether was being that, how they vote or he was being invited on TV and stuff before all this because the news media is so bereft of ideas they love mm. any young person who's willing to say anything that's in line with what the grown-ups say yeah and so he was being on i think um, they're desperate for the video of him talking about how you should fire rockets at syria and shit like that yeah yeah i'm pretty certain I saw something <clears throat> that. they are desperate for the titillation but i suppose what's unique about him as opposed to anyone else is just like how young he is and how like none of this is based on anything no he hasn't done anything. All he's had are weird, wrong, like not just like uh, unacceptable opinions, but incorrect, like actually li- like false opinions. Mm. It kind of makes sense in the kind of false news era because yeah. it's like, well, who gives a fuck? Nothing's true. He wins out of all of this yeah. because he gets something of that. It will burn out before long like it did with Milo, but he gets something about it and it's... It's a whole fucked up thing. Mm. Like, it, truth stopped meaning anything. <laughs> Everything stopped meaning anything. We have Trump as president in yeah. America. Who, who gives a shit? <laughs> Ultimately. Yeah, I imagine he'll be on Question Time or on one of those Sunday debating shows before the end of the month. Like daily politics, do you reckon? Something like that. He'll do a bit on it. And then he'll be presented as, you know, and daily politics have those singular talking heads where they produce a segment and they're never, then they're brought on to talk about it. He'll have one of those and it will be about the importance of free speech Mm. and the importance of never being called on anything that you say. Yep. And they'll give him a massive forum because, let's face it, it's fucking eyeballs, isn't it? And it's one day out of five. Yeah, it's dirty. It's dirty, yeah. but we've we've set us we've been we've been set up for this financial crisis, fraud, lying. <laughs> we've generally been set up for a non-truthful end to our civilization. So yeah. you know, yeah, that's, yeah, so that's it. That's what we chose. <laughs> I don't feel better. No, I but don't I'm feel glad that, I'm better. I'm glad that people are laughing at him. The thing is, he does he does one of those things of no, I'm not upset. Hmm. it's like, oh, fuck you, I just I'm want not, to see... I want to see tears, I want to see blood. I'm not mad. I'm yeah. not mad online. Yeah, I want him to have his hair shaved. <laughs> he'll do it, but he'll do it for charity, because oh. after he goes on the politics shows, he'll be something of a celebrity, so he'll go on, like, Children in Need or something like that, and he'll get oh. his head shaved. Noted bon, bon vivant. Bon vivant. Maybe he'll become a bon vivant. Oh. You know, someone who just gets invited on. He'll have a guest spot on Cheap, Cheap, Cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's the end of episode 30. Uh, Thank you for listening, everybody. As usual, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, You can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo. And you can follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. Mm -hmm. We're done for this week. We'll talk more about Labour and all of that stuff next week. It'll be more gossipy next week, I think. Yeah, there'll be lots of talking about things that we generally agree with, but how they could be better. Yeah, 
I think so. Yeah. Not to spoil it or anything. Still tune in. <laughs> we haven't told you everything. <laughs> I haven't gone on a rant yet about fucking the British government dumping poison next to Cardiff. Do you want to do that next week? We'll do that yeah, next week if you yeah. want. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Look forward to it. All right. Bye. Bye. about the fighting game when Mr. Hoover said to